Well, this morning, as they head to the back, we're going to continue in here in our third week in this series that we uh, have been walking through here in, in the morning service. It's a really timely series, as we have kind of acknowledged over the last two weeks. That's, that's by the hand of God uh, leading all of this. And so we are talking about how it is God invites us, really commands us in many ways, to interact and relate with one another as Christians. And I want us to, to be really clear, these commands that are upon us are for every relationship that we have as a Christian. How we interact with our coworkers and our friends should be governed by these principles we're looking at. How we interact with our spouses and our children should be governed by these one another commands we are looking at. How we interact with our church family, with our communities at large, are all to be governed through the filter of these 59 one another commands that the Lord gives us in the New Testament. So we started out in our first week of this series looking at how God intends for us to know one another. And that means, as we talked about in week one, knowing the people around you and being known by them as well. God's put us into these relationships intentionally. And so you and I are to have a genuine type of knowledge of one another that leads to really intentional interactions that, that begin with how we greet one another, as we talked about in that first week, how we truly welcome one another into our lives and how we navigate then the challenges that come with relationships in a broken world where none of us are perfect. Some of those key one another verses we looked at in week number one were Romans 15, 7, which tells us, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews 3, 13, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And 2 Corinthians 13.11 tells us, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. That was week one. Now then in week two, just last week, we talked about how the most important part of our Christian lives personally connects to the most important part of our corporate life, our relationships with one another as Christians in the church. We could summarize it by saying our created purpose is also our central community purpose. We are made to worship God, each one of us personally, individually, and corporately as a body. To use the, the classic language that I, I love so much, you've heard me say before, the chief end of man, the, the primary purpose of our whole lives is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why we exist. That's why we are made and we are in relationships with one another that are to center around worshiping God with one another. As Christians, that's the, that's the action that binds us most closely together. As a body, a church family, we desperately need to have God at the center of everything. Everything. And so some of the key texts we looked at last week were Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20 tell us, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In Colossians 3, 16 and 17, we talked about, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And one of our favorite texts, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And of course, we looked again at 2 Corinthians 13, 11 as well, which we just read, says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. We read many of the other texts from week one again as well. Again, there's 59 of these commands, and we're, we're talking about most of them throughout this series. And so if we could take what we talked about last week and kind of put it all together, the things God says about you and I wanting us to be people who worship with one another, worship God with one another, it means doing all of these things that these verses tell us to do, not just some of them. So if we were to list out the things we see from the verses, we find God telling us very clearly that you and I, we need to gather, assemble together physically. That's Hebrews 24, 10, 24, and 25. We need to encourage one another we need to stir one another up to love and good works. Again, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. We need to be people who offer thanksgiving to God through prayers, giving of our tithes and offerings, those type of things. That's Ephesians 5, 18 to 20 and 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. We need to sing songs of worship and praise to God. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20 tells us that. Colossians 3, 16 and 17 told us that. We also need to have the word of God dwell in us richly which comes through hearing God speak through the preaching of the scriptures. What is theanustas? God breathed the words we have in the Bible. That's Colossians 3, 16, 17, Acts 2, 42, and 2 Timothy 3, 16, all the way through chapter 4, verse 5. We need to celebrate as well baptisms. We need to take the Lord's Supper together in unity. We need to remember the work which binds us together in the first place, Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, and 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six, 26, make those things clear. And the last point is this. We also need to bear with, serve, and engage with one another, commit to one another, grow with one another, and truly love one another. This last one, number seven, is what we're going to spend the next three weeks, the last three weeks of this series, unpacking together. Today, we're going to talk about how we are called, how we need to commit to one another. Next week, we're going to talk about the call that we have to grow with one another. And finally, we'll bring it all together in the last week and understand, I think, more fully what it means when we read so often in, the, in these one another commands that we are called to truly love one another. So some of the key texts for today, if you want to make a note of where we are in this message today, the key texts that we are going to look at are these, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, and we'll come back to them throughout the message Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 tell us then, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Romans 15, 5 and 6 
Also tell us, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, which tells us, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. We'll look at all of these texts this morning, and then we will end with the words of 1 John chapter 1 at the very end of our message today. So like I said, right before we, we gave the list of what it means to truly worship God, kind of those seven points, right, of what it means to really worship with one another, as we talked about last week, we need to understand that, as I said, all of those pieces together are really important. They're vital to our spiritual lives, our spiritual health. To give you an illustration, to think of it in a way that perhaps you could relate to a little easier, think about our diets, about what it is that we eat and how we eat. If we do not have some measure of balance in our diets and the things that we consume, we will not be healthy. There'll be something off in some place of our life. Just in terms of, of the very basic structure of what it is that we need to become healthy is we need proteins, we need nutrients and we need vitamins and, and we need some form of healthy carbohydrates in order to really be happy, to have sustainable energy and to live healthily. And really to be healthy and happy, I think most of us would probably agree that we also want some sugars and something sweet in there to bring joy into how we eat, right? Okay. See, but here's the thing about all of these, these basic elements. The reason why you can mess with the basic elements and attain certain goals, like, the, like for instance, the reason why weight loss occurs for many of us is because we will go and cut out one of these parts of the diet, and that causes a reaction in our body, right? So we go no carbs or low carbs, or sometimes we go really high carbs. It depends on your approach, right? Or you go no meat whatsoever or only meat. That's all I'm having, right? Or you cut out sugar and happiness, whatever it is. We'll go through these seasons of taking some of these blocks and we'll just yank them out of our diet and our body reacts when we do that, right? And then the reason we do that though is because we're pleased with that result. Weight loss occurs whenever our bodies have something that they should have in balance put into the body. When that's gone, the body begins to burn the reserves that we have and we see weight loss occur. So we were like, great, that's what we want with weight loss. We will deprive ourselves of something so that we see this other result. Well, the problem is, while that's good and we're all happy when it's working for weight loss, when this occurs for a long period of time, we lament that. And we see that as abusive to our own bodies or towards someone else's bodies if we're stopping them from having all those things, right? It's not healthy or sustainable to be deprived of one of these elements that we need for very long eventually our reserves will deplete and we will begin to suffer. If you've ever looked at pictures of prisoners of war from almost any conflict, you will see the toll it takes when they are deprived of things they need. If you look at pictures of, of people who hid to survive the Jewish Holocaust, you will see what it looks like when the body is deprived of something it needs. Or look at pictures of survivors from the Rwandan genocide in 1994 and you will see what it looks like to be deprived for a long period of time. We're happy with the results when we're in control of them, but when something's missing for a long part of time, it takes a deep, deep toll on us. Eventually, 
no matter how effective it was at obtaining your weight loss goal, if you maintain that forever and you never learn to balance what you're bringing back in, all those elements that are necessary in the proper moderation, in the proper way, if you never learn how to balance that, you'll never truly obtain health. Fad diets simply work by depriving our bodies and causing us to burn off our reserves. Healthiness comes from having a consistent, balanced, intentional input of the right things in the right amounts. And we want to be healthy, most of us, right? (laughs) Or you want to be healthy after maybe you get through the weight loss goal. Then you'll go for health. So let's bring these things, this illustration here, and let's put it into our spiritual lives and our spiritual health with some practical examples. As we mentioned last week, if we don't ever physically assemble together, well, we can handle that for a little bit. We can burn some reserves and we can survive for a while, but that's not sustainable long term. Right? Like, I'm convinced this is what we have to do every time we have a snow or ice day, right? Some, some what the Puritans would call a providential hindrance that would prevent us from assembling as we normally would. I, I believe what we're doing is we're, we're kind of pushing this into our own lives and going, I got to tap my spiritual reserves to kind of get through. I got to draw on those to get through this interruption of the regular sustenance that I would be receiving from the Lord. And we did this in a longer way. So that's, you know, we've had weeks where we've had to cancel with snow and ice. It's one day, and that's fine. And, and maybe we don't even realize we're drawing on the reserves in a one-day thing. But we went through eight weeks of no physical gatherings and then multiple weeks of split-out gatherings, right, where, where half the body was at one time and half at another time. And we all should be able to recognize, looking back, that took a toll on us. As that drug on and we were pulling more and more from the spiritual reserves, we had less and less there. And we started to realize, wow, we need the sustenance. We need the input of all of these things in the right way as God has prescribed them. We, we understand live streams or watching a po- listening to a podcast or watching the video version, they're not valid replacements for the physical assembly that we're called to have. They're just small really insufficient substitutes that, that are better than nothing. It's, it's like the snack that we have to kind of tide us over. We're grateful for them. I'm, I'm happy to, to do those things, but that's not what you need to survive and be healthy. You need the meal. You need this. You have to assemble with God's people. You will not be healthy if you don't have this long-term. You may be okay for a little bit to draw on your reserves if there's some reason we have to do that. But that's just the the first example. The second example would be this. If we only ever come into this place and we sing and we pray and we listen to the word of God preached, but we never do the, the intentional work of building relationships with one another, many of those things, those seven things we listed out, are how we relate to one another, what we need from one another. If we never come in here and do that, if we never give and receive encouragement, if we never stir one another up towards love and good works, if we never serve and are blessed by the service of others, if we never learn to bear with one another, to carry their burdens and to walk with them through their hardships, if we never really commit to one another and do the hard work of cultivating godly relationships, then we are missing out on another vital aspect of what our spiritual lives need to be healthy. God did not build us to be alone. He made us, he created us for relationships. Before the fall, right? Before sin enters the world, what's God saying? As Adam's alone in the garden, it is not good for a man to be alone. It's part of the created design. We need others, we need relationships with those around us. 
And if we come in here and we take just one half of the things, we go, well, I'm just going to get all the, the spiritual stuff and I'm going to ignore all the others. It's really just kind of me and Jesus, a Lone Ranger approach, and I just happen to be in the group for a little bit at a time. We are missing out on a vital part of spiritual health. You need the relationship with others and the spiritual food that comes when we gather. But there's a third example that we can give, and I think it's perhaps the most deadly of all, and it might in some ways be the most natural one because we are fleshly creatures who lean more on what is seen, more on what we understand than on spiritual reality sometimes. If we only try to do the relational thing, if we only try to have relationships with one another, connect with one another, have conversations with one another, talk and build those things up, but we refuse to center that upon God through worshiping with one another, gathering for corporate worship in song, prayer, and hearing the word preached and responding to God together, then we are going to harm our spiritual reserves that way as well. We will eventually become sick and suffer spiritually very quickly because we're missing what is really to be at the center of binding us all together. All of these things in all the appropriate measures are to be put together if we're going to be spiritually healthy. For the sake of true health, we need to be committed to God and to one another. And we need to do the hard work that commitment always requires. Commitment is always hard work. Always hard work. So let's hear these texts again that we're going to unpack today. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3 tells us, Paul writing, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians 3, 12 and 13, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now these commands that we're looking at, they are, let's be honest here in this room again, they're difficult to hear and even more difficult to live out. This is a high calling that we have. Going back to the first one, Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, we're told live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What that means for us is that we have to live a life that is reflective and in light of the reality that the God of the universe has saved you, Christian, from your sins. Like, the reality that he died in your place. He has taken your sins. He has loved you so greatly that he would forgive every act of cosmic treason you have ever committed against him. Your vile rebellion, your enmity, your hatred of him. He has come to establish peace with all of us. His people are made at peace with him. He reconciles us. He sees us. He deals with and commits to us despite our unworthiness, despite even our continued failures and sinfulness throughout this life. In light of that reality, Paul says, in light of that truth, he begins to unpack then the application of it. You have to believe that. If you're not a Christian, you will never live out these one another commands. 
You cannot do it because the grounding, the root for it all, the root that grows up these fruits in your life is belief in that truth, experience of that truth. If you are not saved, if he has not called you, if he has not saved you from your sins, you will not live this way. So you have to get the root right in order to then live out the application, the imperatives, the statements that he says next. Live this way, act this way, do these things. It comes when we are saved in light of the saving work of God in us. So he tells us then, if you are a Christian, think of your salvation and then walk in humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, seeking to have the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The only way to get that is to experience the power of God in his saving work in our lives personally. And then God says in Colossians 3, 12, and 13, again, starts out with grounding it in the reality of who God is and what God has done. He says, you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And that's an incredible thing for God to say about us, right? We are his chosen people. We didn't luck into this. We aren't people who are sneaking across the border into the kingdom of light when he's looking a different way. And then he's like, oh, I guess, they're, I guess they're mine. I'll bless them now. That's not how this worked. He chose us. He, he, he knows us, despite the fact that none of us deserve it. In fact, he has to choose us to bring us into his kingdom of his own goodness and love because we are completely unworthy of being chosen. But he does that. He chooses his people. And then he makes us holy and beloved. He's not just putting up with us. He's not just content to leave us the way we are when he saved us. He transforms us. He declares us to be holy. He does that because he loves us so much that he would give to us the righteousness of Christ the imputation of that which is in Latin, extra nos, outside of us, foreign to us. It's not ours to begin with. God's work in our lives is not bringing out all the best aspects of you that's within you. It's covering over all your failures, all your shortcomings, all your sin with the righteousness of Christ, this imputation, this covering from him to us, this great exchange that none of us deserves. So again, the, the text starts, put your mind upon that glorious re- revolution, that rev- revelation, that glorious salvation that he has provided for you, the mercy and grace he has shown us. Then you can live this way and apply these things to your life. Things like having a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Then you can be strengthened to bear with one another and you can be empowered that if one has a complaint against another you could forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Again, this is what it looks like to be committed. This is the hard work. (laughs) It's why we constantly need his grace and his mercy and his spirit to work in us because we cannot do these things all on our own. We have to look to him. We have to rely upon him. We have to draw from him in order to do these things he intends for us. The reality is no matter how much you love someone, walking in this way is really hard. And you can't do it all on your own from that love you may have for that person. No matter how long you've known someone. In fact, it may even be harder the longer you've known someone because you've seen more. If you really know them, you've seen more of the the bad stuff that's inside, right? It could be even harder the longer you're with someone to live this way. You can't do it on your own. 
We need God to empower us and strengthen us and lead us moment by moment if we're going to live these things out. And these aren't suggestions. <laughs> these aren't the 59 if you feel like it. These are the 59 one another commands of God Almighty to you, his servant, his redeemed, the one he owns. He's telling you, this is what you are to do. Obey all that I have said. And if we understand who he is and we've experienced who he is in his mercy and grace and we're going to draw on him and we're going to rely on him, we're going to trust him, then that reliance and hope on him is well placed, isn't it? Here again, this text from Romans 15. Listen to how God is described in Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The harmony that we want, the harmony, the unity that we want, the peace that we want to experience, the genuine worship with one another of God that we long to be able to express comes from the God who is here called the God of endurance and encouragement. That's an incredible description of God. I just literally this week had my Bible open, was reading this text, and just stared at that text in the scripture. This is who our God is. Not the God of, I'll give you a little strength for a little bit of time. He's the God of endurance. Not the God of, you know, you're probably going to have to suffer through it. We're going to kind of see how it goes. Yeah, we'll just feel it out. He's the God of encouragement. He's always able. He's all-powerful, and he has committed himself to bringing us through this life, all the ups, all the downs, the entirety of it with endurance, with the encouragement that he will never fail us. He will always be with us, and whatever we face that we may say, with man it is impossible, the response is always, but with God nothing is impossible. He can do everything that we need. So this is the encouragement. This is then the call to endurance, the call to come together in unity, the call to worship the one who can do all of those great things. Because he loves us, because he has forgiven us, because he has unfailing mercy and grace towards us, then we are to live in these words from 2 Corinthians 13, which tell us, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Why should we look for joy in our lives, even right now, even in the midst of hard weeks? Why should we press in? Why should we aim for restoration in our relationships rather than running away? Why should we comfort one another instead of living fearful or worried or upset? Why should we believe that we could agree with one another and live in peace, as this text tells us, instead of just writing one another off or even worse, seeing one another as our enemy? The answer is because he is the God of love and peace. And when we pursue those things, he is with us. When we commit to doing the work of building those things into our relationships with one another, the text tells us, as you pursue these things, the God of love and peace will be with us. 
when we do this work that he's called us to, he's not just stepping back watching to see how how plan plays out. He's with us as we pursue that. He's empowering us. He's enabling us. He's causing these things to come about in his people. If he is at the center, if he is at work among his people, if he is who he says he is, then nothing is impossible with him. Our God can do great things and we can have the hope and confidence and encouragement and endurance in him because of who he is. So as we prepare to again examine our own hearts and and respond to God and his word speaking to us, I want us to listen to what he says to us through the apostle John. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This text, this text draws upon this repeated theme all across scripture of how God is light. He is truth. And our call is to then walk with him in light, in the truth. And this idea has been pressed into my heart, into my thoughts, into my prayers by the Spirit of God so many times, countless times over these last few weeks. This truth has been centered in my thinking. The scripture tells us plainly that each of us are born naturally into the kingdom of darkness. We are slaves to darkness because of our sinfulness. It's where we all began. It's true of every one of us. But the gospel message is that God has rescued his people from the kingdom of darkness and moved us, literally transferred us by reconciling us and delivering us into the kingdom of light. And once that happens... And for many of us, we say we are Christians. We've, we've put our faith and trust in God, and we've experienced this salvation of this movement from, from darkness to light. Once that happens, listen, even though our nature knows those old paths of darkness, even though we're still tempted by lies to go back to those old paths of the kingdom of darkness, we are not called to walk there, much less live there. We are called to be people of the light and the truth. And here's where this text can speak so beautifully to us today, is that when we walk in the light as he is the light, we have, the text says, fellowship with one another. This is where true fellowship is found, is in the light of God, in the truth of God. When we're all together walking in the light with him, in that place is where we are truly known, and where we will truly know one another. And I, and I get it. <laughs> I do. That's scary, 
Because every one of us, if we have any amount of self-awareness in our own hearts, know there's darkness still in there. There are still things in there that you want to leave in the darkness. Keep them in the shadows. If you step fully into the light and it's all known and it's all exposed, you're going to have to deal with the guilt and the embarrassment that comes from all of that. And so it's easier for us. It's so much easier for us. Let's just keep it tucked away. That's what we want in our nature. Why? Because we were born in the kingdom of darkness. But you and I, Christian, are not called to be there anymore. We're called to walk in the light. And the light exposes the light, shows the truth. That's where, if you want to have fellowship with one another, you have to be. This is where we have fellowship with one another. And listen to how the text says comfort, speaks comfort to us. Because we know what's in us. We know what the light will expose. Yet, listen, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Everything we're so afraid of being exposed in the light, the text tells us, will be cleansed from us when we walk in the light. I get it. It's scary to step into it because you fear the exposure. I fear the exposure. We want to hide, but this is where being a Christian costs everything so we can gain everything. This is what obedience looks like, living in the light, fully exposed, truly known. And because of Christ, because of his atonement, because of his blood, what we find in the light of Christ is not scorn, it's not hatred, it's not even condemnation. We find that he cleanses us from all our sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His blood makes that possible, and this is the promise of what we find when we get in the light, when we confess, when we are honest, when we are living there, making ourselves truly known, when we're living in the light as he is in the light, not in the darkness of deception, not in false narratives. We find in the light his blood cleanses us and he forgives us of all our sins. So, Wendy, if you and the team will come today, you're going to lead in our final song and our time of response. And, and as we've said every single week where I want us to start, where we have to start in obedience to the Scripture, is with us and not with someone else. So hear how John warns us against the very same temptation we've warned against every single week. Don't look outward first. Don't look at others first. Look inward first. Deal with your heart. What I've been doing all week through countless hours of praying through this, seeking, Lord, expose me, search my heart, know my ways, shine your light on me. We have to get in and we have to deal with our hearts and our own sinfulness first. We have to get ourselves into the light and the truth before we can truly have fellowship with one another. And John warns us against trying to avoid that step as if we can run around it somehow because right before and after verse 9, he takes away all of our excuses, right? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And in verse 10, he says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So the only way to experience the cleansing, the only way to have for the forgiveness of verse 9 is that we admit our sins, we confess them, we repent of them, we seek to mortify, to kill them, and we commit to living in the light and truth because he is the light and the truth. And so here, 1 John 1, 9, to you today, when you respond, when you deal with your sin, he says, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's start with this. Let's start with us. Let's respond personally. Lord, help me live this out. Help me repent where I've not lived this out. Help me, Lord, to commit to one another into what you are calling me to in every relationship I have with my friends, with my family, with my spouse, my children, with my church, and with my community. Let's respond by examining our hearts, our relationships, and seek the Lord who can make the impossible happen because he is the God of all power, grace, and mercy, and he is with us today. Let's respond to the Lord together.